Well, good morning. I'm Camper Mundy, Associate Pastor, and it's my joy to welcome you this first Sunday of June. A special welcome to those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad to have you here. Uh, important concept for our, uh, our sermon this morning, so I'm going to begin with a question. Do you know what a paradigm is? A paradigm. Pretty simple. A paradigm is 20 cents. Okay, I just want to see if anybody was awake. See, I figure if I begin with a bad joke, then hopefully the sermon only can get better from here. Uh, thank you. Uh, but seriously, a, a, a paradigm, it's a way of thinking. It's, it's a, a philosophical framework, a, a grid to help us make sense of, of the world. And we've all got them. We've all got multiple paradigms, and some of them are closer to reality than others. You know, many years ago... Uh, People thought that the, the earth was flat. They were afraid that if they sailed too far, they were going to sail right off the edge of the world. But as sailors kept going out and, and coming back and going out and coming back and they were charting their, their courses, all the data that was coming in was not really fitting their paradigm. And then someone, and we don't know who this first person was, but someone proposed something as stupid as the world being round. Go figure. But as I was thinking about that person, I wondered if maybe they too, like Galileo, maybe they were tried for heresy. Because if you know the story of Galileo, he was tried for heresy for claiming that the earth revolved around the sun uh, rather than vice versa. Because you see, paradigm shifts can hurt. Uh, shifting paradigms, having them challenged, is often threatening because we think one way only to discover that reality is different. And the more invested that we are in a particular grid, the more, the more painful it is to accept a new grid, no matter how right it is and how wrong we are. So in Luke 15, we find Jesus overturning old grids and challenging with new ones. Uh, last week, uh, we explored the parable of the lost sons. Uh, today, we're going to explore the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Uh, and so be prepared to have some paradigms challenged. Uh, our text this morning is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. It's found on page 874 if you're using the Pew Bible. Let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. Our good and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. And we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves this morning. And that is that you would, would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to believe. Would you pierce our hearts with the goodness of your word, with the gospel of the grace of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to do what I did last week, and that is instead of what, what I would normally do in reading the passage with many, if not most of you, following along in your own uh, Bibles, I want to story tell uh, this passage to you, using the very words of Scripture, but speaking it to you because it's a parable. And parables were first spoken. Luke here, writer of the gospel, 
uh, an eyewitness to Jesus' life and ministry. And so this would be recording what Jesus uh, first spoke, what, what was heard, what was seen. And so the hope here uh, is that as you listen to God's word, that you might hear something different. You might pick up on some different things that you uh, have missed when reading in the past. So I invite you now to hear the word of God from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully and, until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This is the word of God, given to us for our good and his glory, and so to it we turn. Well, you may have noted already that the, the title for this sermon is The Pursuit of God, and I want to make clear up front that it is not about our pursuit of him, but rather about his pursuit of us. And so we're going to look at the pursued, the pursuer, and the purpose of pursuit. The pursued, the pursuer, and the purpose of pursuit. We'll start with the pursued. In Luke 15, we find a sheep, a coin, a younger son, an older son. Each is lost, and each is pursued. So let's go back to, to last week for just a moment. Let's review a little bit of what we learned from the parable of the lost sons. Uh, last week we saw how the, the younger son lived an indulgent, wasteful lifestyle. And then how his older brother lived a rigid, obedient, yet bitter lifestyle. And though looking so different on the surface, uh, deep down at the core, we saw how very similar these two brothers are. That, that both are actually self-absorbed, isolated, alienated, alone. And then we noted how we are like both of these sons. That all of us, to varying degrees, 
are like both of them, though each of us will identify, probably will identify with one a little bit more than the other. Uh, Some of you will identify more with the younger son. You're into self-discovery. You're relativists at heart, a free spirit maybe. What's good for me is good for me. What's good for you is good for you. And in a sense, you try to save yourselves by following your heart. And others, like myself, will identify more with the older son. We're into moral conformity. We're legalists at heart. It's all about disciplined self-effort. I do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. But if you could look deep in our hearts, you would see that we often do it to look good and to get what we want. And in a sense, we try to save ourselves by following the rules. We also observed last week how both of us, younger Sons, older sons, how both of us are caught up in our own version of what we might call a self-salvation project. In other words, self-sufficiency. Younger sons trying to save themselves by following their hearts. Older sons trying to save themselves by following the rules. Further, though though we didn't look at this uh, in depth last week, uh, further, the parable of the lost sons also reveals something key For our understanding of sin. Under the old grid, the grid that the the Pharisees hold and that Jesus is speaking into, and and, and honestly a grid that many of us hold today, uh, under the old grid, sin was seen as simply breaking the rules. So if I'm not breaking the rules, then I'm not sinning. But under this new grid, as Jesus illustrates, sin is fundamentally about running from God. Fundamentally about running from God, saying, I don't need you. I will save myself. I'll save myself by following my heart or by following the rules. But either way, seeking to save myself without God and thus running from Him. Because you see, sin is not primarily about broken rules, but about a broken relationship. Sin is primarily about a broken relationship. Now, yes, and I want to be very clear on this. Christians are called to obey God. There are commands. They are spoken for our good and his glory, and we are to obey God. But always from a heart that has been changed by his grace. Always in response to his love, compelled by the love of Christ, drawing near to the one who has saved us, not in an attempt to be approved by him, to earn or merit his favor. Now, if if we don't get it, the fact that sin is about running from God, then Jesus makes that clear in the parable of the lost sheep. So let's transition from last week's text, the lost sons, to this week, uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin. So in the parable of the lost sheep, what happens? Well, the sheep wanders away. You see, the sheep is going to feed himself without the shepherd. Isaiah says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us, each of us, has turned to our own way. Further, we are each helpless, like lost sheep. 
You know what happens when a sheep gets lost? When a sheep wanders away and gets lost, it gets confused, disoriented, and scared. And so it just begins running around and around and around in this frantic mess, mess until it gets exhausted. And then the sheep will sit down and die, either from starvation or because it's been preyed upon. Now, Jesus then takes this further to emphasize our helplessness all the more. Jesus then illustrates with a coin, an inanimate object, something lifeless, like we are apart from Christ. As Ephesians puts it, apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Lifeless. I was thinking about a, a friend of mine in college uh, the other day. Uh, ben and I got to know each other uh, freshman year in college. He was from Texas, and he had this, this ring that was, uh, it was really cool, really special to him. I asked him about it, and it turned out that his grandfather had been given uh, th this ring uh, as, as a graduation gift when, when his grandfather had graduated from high school. And so then the grandfather gave it to Ben's father when Ben's father graduated from high school. And then his father gave it to him when he graduated, and here we are in our freshman year of college. And so he's got this ring that, that's really valuable to him. And I came out of my dorm one day, and there's Ben on all fours, looking frantically for something. And I was like, Ben, what, what did you lose? He's like, it's my ring. Now, I got down, and I started helping and looking. And I can guarantee you, I did not hear that ring call for help. It was lost. It was, was helpless, was lifeless. Nonetheless, that ring was valuable to Ben. And Ben pursued it until he found it. And so that leads to the second item that I want us to discuss. Moving on from the pursued, now let's consider the pursuer. The pursuer is God. The triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, not only are we running from God, but God is running after us. He is running to us because God treasures us. As the psalmist says in Psalm 18, He rescued me because He delights in me. He is passionate about and He treasures us greatly. Okay, the shepherd. The shepherd cares about a sheep. In fact, he prioritizes finding this lost sheep and even risks his life to do so. Now, the Jewish leaders of the day, and Jesus was, was speaking this parable to uh, some of the Jewish leaders, they did stress God's forgiveness of the repentant, but they did not stress God's pursuit of sinners. And yet in Luke 15, Jesus makes clear that God pursues sinners. Both those of us trying to save ourselves by following our hearts and those trying to save themselves by following the rules. In fact, Jesus overturns the Pharisees' paradigm, their grid, by redefining repentance for them. Now, repentance. Good basic definition of repentance a change of heart and mind where there is a turning from sin and a turning to God. Now, for the Pharisees, though, and in fact, for, for many of us today, 
Really, the way repentance is viewed is as a a self-righteous act to earn God's favor. In in other words, a a self-effort. If I just hunker down and repent enough, then God will show me mercy. God will have favor. I will be approved. But you see, that's all about self-sufficiency. And through the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus begins to radically challenge our understanding of repentance by equating it with being found. Verses 7 and 10. And we'll come back to those in just a moment. Now, as we saw last week in, in the parable of the lost younger son and the lost older son, Jesus does help us see that repentance is not just about being found. Repentance starts with being found and is completed with a personal response. Because salvation is ultimately personal. It's about restored relationship. But repentance starts with being found. Okay, here's the point. The sheep and the coin do nothing to be found. Neither do we. You see, true repentance, where there is a change of heart and mind, expressed in a turning from sin and a turning to God, is initiated and enabled by God. By God's passionate pursuit of us. That's true repentance. The very thing we sang about earlier in the service. That's gospel-kissed repentance. I think about my grandfather. Uh, Granddaddy was born in 1901 in uh, Buchanan, Virginia. Looks like it's spelled Buchanan, but no, it is pronounced Buchanan. Uh, Just about three hours west of here, uh, north of Roanoke, south of Lexington. My grandfather and I were were very close. Uh, I I loved getting to spend time with him. And one of my favorite things was during the summer months. In in my preteen and then my, my teenage years, especially once I got to drive, which was really fun, we, we got to travel together. We, a few days at a time, I grew up in northeast Georgia. We'd travel through the north, northeast Georgia mountains, the North Carolina mountains, and then into the western part of this commonwealth. And I was learning about my family roots. And so I just peppered him with questions because the stories were fascinating. You know, like Abraham Lincoln born in a log cabin, no electricity, no running water. Uh, so I got to, you know, drive down into the holler where he was... Uh, uh, where he was born, and it was, it was fascinating. And so one day as, as we were driving, I, I was asking him uh, some, some questions about the Great Depression and what it was like during that time. And I found out that he was fortunate enough to have a job uh, during the, the Great Depression. He uh, ran a meat market in Roanoke. And out of the many stories, I remember he told me about one morning coming into work, and he went to unlock the front door of the meat market, but the door just opened. It had already been unlocked. And sure enough, as he went to the refrigerator, it turned out that that the meat store had been robbed. And then he went on to tell me that there was a note, a note stuck on the refrigerator, explaining the robbery and signed by the criminal. And I remember in my teenage thought thinking, what an idiot. Who's going to rob a place and then sign their name to it? I don't remember if I said that out loud or just thought it, but what was going on in my heart was this stupid guy broke the rules and my granddaddy is going to go get him. Because, see, my great-granddaddy 
was the sheriff of Botetourt County, Virginia, for nearly 40 years. So I knew that my granddaddy knew a thing or two about justice, and he was going to go lay down the law. Well, he did go after the guy. But the story progressed and turned out a lot different than I had expected. Granddaddy recognized the name, knew knew the family name of it, didn't know the guy personally, and he began asking around, do you know so-and-so, do you know so-and-so? He he was directed right outside of Roanoke, just to the outskirts, and he eventually came to a house, or really what was a poor excuse for a house, and he knocked on the door and asked to see Mr. So-and-so, and the gentleman came to the door, and he said, could we talk for a few minutes? Uh, my name is Mr. Mundy, and, and I believe this is your note. And the man said, yes, it is. I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't have any money, and I didn't know how else I was going to feed my family. And Granddaddy said, well, I'm, I'm here to give you a job. Now, many other stories, many other years went by. And it wasn't until after uh, Granddaddy died that I started thinking about this story. And I had one of those aha moments, something I had not realized and something that granddaddy had not told me. But I began to put two and two together and realize that how could granddaddy give him a job? That There was no money to hire somebody else to work at the meat market. Until I realized granddaddy had taken a pay cut himself so that he could pay this man so that this man could make an honest living. You see, Granddaddy understood this man's helplessness in the midst of the Great Depression. Great desperation. Now, Granddaddy didn't excuse the sin, but rather he went after this man, found him, forgave him, and provided a way to be restored through his own personal sacrifice. It was years after Granddaddy died that I realized he was expressing God's passionate pursuit. God's passionate love for us. A love that seeks and suffers in order to save. And that leads to the third and final item I want us to discuss. From the pursued to the pursuer, finally, The purpose of pursuit. Why the pursuit? Well, the purpose of pursuit, plain and simple, is restoration. A restored relationship. And on top of that, restoration that brings joy. Gladness and celebration. A relationship made right. Joy for the pursuer and also joy to the pursued. Now, Jesus, as he tells these parables, and Luke, as he records them, makes this very clear. The joy of restoration emphasized at the center, at the very heart of each of these parables. Uh, Verses 5 and 6, and then verse 9. Verse 5, when the, the shepherd found the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders and goes home rejoicing. Calls his friends and neighbors together, rejoice with me. I found the lost sheep. And then the woman with the coin, verse 9, when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the coin that was lost. You see, it's all about the joy of finding and restoring. Now, if we don't get it, the fact that Jesus is speaking about 
people here and not merely about a, a lost sheep and a lost coin, but he's actually talking about us. Then he makes it clear in the parallel verses of 7 and 10. Speaking of the rejoicing that goes on when sinful people, when sinners like you and me, repent. Verse 10, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Joy over each sinner who is found and restored. Well, later in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus summarizes his very purpose. Luke 19, he says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he declares in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, have you ever been to a rodeo? I'm, I'm curious. Show of hands. Oh, okay, good. Oh, Wow. A lot more of you confessing this morning than I expect. Uh, good. Well, I'm, I'm glad. You're, you're in good company. Uh, you've at least seen a rodeo or bits of a rodeo on TV. So think for a moment about the roping events. Now, they weren't just put together for competition, but they actually reflect something that goes on in the, in the daily lives of the, these men and women who are out on the range. They have, have, have calves, have horses that, that run off, and they've got to go after them and get them. So with the rodeo in mind, think about it this way. That's what's happening with the lost sheep. Because you see, when, when a sheep that has run away, it's just sat down, now given up, when it is finally found by the shepherd, typically the sheep will get startled Scared, more disoriented, will begin running to and fro, and the shepherd has to seize the sheep, throw the sheep down, and then tie it up before he can joyfully put it on his shoulders and go home and restore that sheep to the flock. I love Psalm 23. His granddaddy's favorite psalm, and as he got into his... Uh, 80s and 90s, and we would have the opportunity to, to travel for a few days at a time, as I mentioned in the summer, uh, when we would retire at night at a, at, in a hotel room, he would often get me to read Psalm 23 to him. And we usually think of the shepherd in Psalm 23 as being kind and gentle, and he is. We should think that way. But he is also strong and determined. I've spoken of this before, but I love the way that Psalm 23 ends. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life so that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and love will follow me. And that word follow can be translated pursue. Surely goodness and love will pursue me, will come after me all the days of my life. In fact, it can be taken a bit further and be translated, hunt down. Surely goodness and love will hunt me down all the days of my life so that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, so that there may be restored relationship with God. And the clearest picture of, Jesus's, of God's goodness and love is Jesus. Surely Jesus will hunt me down. This is our God, a good shepherd who will hunt down in love for the purpose of joy-filled restoration. 
Joy over you, joy over me, joy in being restored to him. Just as in Psalm 23, so too in Luke 15, we discover the aggressive grace of God. This is the God who would come after us. The God who would give himself for us in Jesus on a cross so that we might be joyfully restored to him. In Luke 15, Jesus challenges and overturns religious paradigms. Jesus declares that God's people are found, rescued, and restored by him and by him alone. Saved by grace through faith. And if we don't get it, if we don't believe this gospel, then we're as good as dead. Well, besides flat-out rejection of Jesus and his word, there are really two basic responses to his call in Luke 15. Come and go. Come and go. First, Jesus says, come. We sang it earlier. Come, ye sinners. Come, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. I will give you rest. Now, if you are here this morning and you have not yet trusted Jesus to forgive your sin, to reconcile you to God, to guide your life, then come. Come to him today. Trust him. Call out, Jesus, I am a helpless sinner in need of your grace. Have mercy on me and forgive me that I may know you, that I may dwell in your house forever that I may follow you all the days of my life. Now, if you're here this morning, you're already a follower of Jesus. You're already a Christian. He says, come. Come. Rest in me. Receive and rest on me alone. Trust him anew today. Call out and be honest. I believe, Lord, I believe. But there are some places that are just so hard. Please help my unbelief. And he will. Jesus says come. Jesus also says go. Go. Go into all the world and proclaim the good news. Go into the community out there. Go to the world beyond and proclaim the good news in word and deed. There is a world out there dying to know this good news of Jesus Christ in bondage to the old grid and desperately needing to know and believe the gospel grid. So let's go. Speaking the gospel to our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, our co-workers, speaking the truth in love. And let's go do the gospel. Do the gospel, deeds of love, acts of service where there is need and there is need all around and where God gives us opportunity. Let's go do it. Be the gospel. Let's go into each other's lives. Entering into each other's lives is the body of Christ and going deep. Together, growing in grace, extending the very grace that we have received. Growing together in faith and repentance and obedience. 
Jesus says go. So let's go. The Pharisees clearly got at least one thing very right. Yes, Jesus is a friend of sinners. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And those who share a table with him are those who call him friend, Lord, Savior. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, may the Lord of this table continue to overturn all those false paradigms that we so quickly run to, that we we so often try to save ourselves by. And may he continue to convince us, convince our hearts more and more and more of the true grid, the gospel grid through which to live. Let's pray, and then we'll share in this meal together.